without light, there would be no life. Without light, there would be no life. When I wrote that sentence this week, I immediately thought of my son and how much he loves sea creatures. And I think the, the bottom of the ocean is called the midnight zone or something like that. And there are creatures who live down there in the darkness. Okay, so Elisha, I'm qualifying this statement. There are some random weird creatures at the bottom of the ocean who appear to live without light. So just go with me on this, Elisha. For everything else on planet Earth, without light, there would be no life. If the Earth didn't receive light from the sun, there would be no life on Earth. Our planet would lie in utter darkness. It would be cold and lifeless. If the light and warmth of the sun's rays didn't reach our planet, there would be no possibility for life. Without light, there would be no life. This is our second week in our study of 1 John. The next few verses in 1 John tell us that the light of God creates life in the church. The light of God creates life in the church. We'll see in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, that God is light and that walking in His light necessarily means walking in life-giving, honest relationships with one another. The main point of this text is that God's light creates honest relationships among God's people. God's light creates honest relationships among God's people. Our two points are, number one, God is light, verse 5. And number two, God's people are honest, verses 6 through 7. God is light, verse 5. God's people are honest, verses 6 through 7. This sermon was originally going to go through verse 10. I got into it and I realized, I realized, no, we have a lot to say. I have a lot to say about these few verses. So the uh, First John series has already gotten longer, <laughs> two weeks in, than originally anticipated. But my hope, my hope in, in digging into these verses and the truths that they contain, my hope for this sermon is that God would continue to create in our hearts and in our church a commitment to a type of relating to one another that will seem counterintuitive and it will feel scary and impossible and weird and awkward. But if pursued and acted out and lived out, it will create a depth and love among us that will be life-giving. Or in other words, my goal for this sermon is that God's light would draw us out of the darkness of image management and into the light of truth and honesty. Let me say that one more time. My hope for this sermon is that God's light would draw us out of image management and into honest, deep, transparent, growing, meaningful relationships with one another filled with the light of God and the light of truth. So, number one, God is light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I'll read, I'll go ahead and read 5, 6, and 7, then we'll 
just look at five. Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Number one, God is light. Verse five. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The message, verse five, the message there is what links this text to the passage up above it. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John said that, he, that what he experienced is what he proclaimed. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Now he tells us what that proclamation was, what the message was. What did John proclaim? Verse 5, this is the message. This is what I proclaim. This is what we, the apostles, proclaimed. Notice, though, he starts out by pointing out that he didn't invent the message. We have heard. The message we have heard from him, namely Jesus. He heard the message from Jesus, got the message from Jesus. So John and the other apostles have a message that came from Jesus that they gave to the churches. Jesus' message was the apostles' message. It should therefore be the church's message. What is the message? that John received from Jesus and proclaimed to these churches. Verse 5, it says it, he says it so plainly. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is pretty crazy because Jesus said a lot of stuff, didn't he? John even says in his gospel that he said so many things that all the books of the world couldn't contain them. He said and did so much that we couldn't write it all down. But here in verse 5, John condenses the message of Jesus into one great affirmation. God is light. This is the message. God is light. There's no darkness in Him. No definite article. This is an absolute definitive statement. It's not God is the light. He just says God is light. God is light. This is an absolute statement about the being and nature of God. It reminds us of other ways John describes God later in 1 John chapter 4. Remember what John says? God is, starts with an L, love. God is love. In the Gospel of John, when John recounts Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus says God is spirit. God is spirit. These are absolute Definitive statements about the being and nature of God. His message, John condenses into one statement, namely, God is light. What is he talking about? What does he mean when he says God is light? Well, two things, and we'll look at each of them briefly. It means that God wants to be known and that God is holy. 
God wants to be known and that God is holy. First, God wants to be known. To say that God is light is to say that God wants to be known. God is light means that it's His nature to reveal Himself just as it's the nature of light to shine. Light cannot help but be seen. How do you know that the lights are on? Because they're on and you see them. You just know because you see the light. There's no debate this morning about whether the lights are on. Light cannot help but be seen. There's no such thing as unseen light. Light, by definition, shines and exposes and reveals. So God as light shines, exposes, and reveals His character and being. The God of the Bible desires to be known and has revealed Himself so that He can be known. God has revealed Himself so clearly through the wonders of the world, that the Apostle Paul says, we have no excuses for not honoring Him. Romans chapter 1. This is what theologians call general revelation. God has revealed Himself generally to everyone, everywhere, at all times, through the beauty and intricate design of the world, so that we would honor and thank God. God has not hidden His power or nature from His creatures, but put them on full display in the universe because He wants to be known. God does not want to hide because God is light. But knowing God through His creation can't take away our sins. So God became a man in Jesus, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, proving that His sacrifice was complete, that He was and is the Son of God, that what He said and did was true, so that everyone who agrees with God about their sin and puts their hope in Christ alone will be forgiven of their sins. God's revelation of Himself in Jesus and His revelation of Himself in the Bible is called special revelation. And without special revelation, we can't be saved. God wants to be known because God is light. God wants to be known by His creatures. He wants to be known by His creatures. God so wants to be known by His creatures that He entered the very space in which they live. He took on their, our form, walked among us, breathed air, ate food, drank water that He created so that He could die for the sins of people He made. People who would rather live for things He made rather than live for Him, the Maker. The God revealed in Jesus and in the Bible is a God who loves people who don't love Him. God is light means that the God of the Bible desires to be known, that He's revealed Himself so that He can be known. You see how much truth is packed into this one little phrase and we're only halfway there. God is light means that God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. So a question for you to consider this morning, friends, maybe you're not yet following Jesus or maybe you've been in the church a long time. You might even be a member of this church. 
The question is, do you know God or do you know about God? Do you have some information about Him or do you know Him as a person that we talked about last week? Jesus is a person, a real person that you can know, a real face that you will one day see. Do you know Him or do you know about Him? There's a big, big difference. There's a chapter in J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, on this point. I'd encourage you to read that entire book for more on this question. Do you know God or know about Him? God wants to be known. God is light means that He can be known. So, the reason John does this, though, the reason he summarizes the message of the gospel with God is light is because the false teachers were claiming to have special or secret revelation. To say that God is light is to say that He can be seen by anyone, though. That, that you don't need a special knowledge or a secret revelation to know God. That God is for all, not for a select few. Through creation and through Christ and through the Bible, God has revealed Himself to all equally. There's not a secret to knowing God. You must simply look to His Son Jesus in faith and His light will begin to fill your life. Now, the reason I point that out is because though we might not talk like that to our friends, we might not say things like, hey, you know, you have to have a secret knowledge to know God. Like, I hope you don't say that. Please don't say that. Okay. If you do, see Jared afterwards. But but what we do say or think, probably usually think, in our heads is that people need to believe or do X, Y, or Z to be a real Christian. So when we think that someone needs to believe or do X, Y, or Z that's not plainly revealed in the Bible is something you must do to be a Christian... When we think someone has to do X, Y, or Z to be a real Christian, we're committing the same error as these false teachers. Christians are those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God and His sacrifice on the cross for their sins, turn from their sins and follow Him. You don't have to be a Calvinist or complementarian or Baptist to be a Christian. And some of you may email me about that. That's fine. But it's actually true. You don't have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way. You know, you don't have to homeschool your kids or get a college degree. Read your Bible and pray every day for an hour. Read a bunch of theological books to be saved. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God isn't hiding in certain theological traditions or our preferred behaviors. God is light and therefore He's available to all who will trust in His Son. I am a Calvinist, complementarian, and Baptist, by the way. And will happily defend all of those positions. God is light means that He wants to be known. The other thing it means is that He's morally pure or holy. There's more we could say about God's holiness and we don't have time. 
One of the things God's holiness means is moral purity. I don't think it's the essence. I think the essence of holiness is uniqueness or set-apartness or otherness. There's no thing, no one like God. He's in a category by Himself. He's set apart. And He's pure. He's morally pure. Light and darkness are used in Scripture metaphorically in a moral sense, in this sense where light is purity and darkness is impurity. Light is good, darkness is evil. Paul says in Ephesians 4, excuse me, Ephesians 5, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So Paul's saying light doesn't just make us see, but enables us to walk. Walk as children of light. The benefit of light is clear vision and clear direction. The light of God reveals the truth about God and the purity of God. John connects light and purity and darkness and evil. Uh, In John 3, I'll read a few verses from John 3, where he says, The light, speaking of Jesus, has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, truth and purity is the result of walking in the light of God because God is true and pure. John Stott says, We are not just to know the truth, but to do it just as we are not only to see the light, but to walk in it. So saying that God is light, and therefore morally perfect and pure, means that the claim of the false teachers to know God and yet be indifferent to morality, verse 6, is completely illogical and ridiculous. That's what they're saying. You can have fellowship with God and do whatever you want. John is saying, no, God is light. God is pure. He's not indifferent to evil or darkness. You can't know a morally pure God and not care about moral purity. So, when John, excuse me, when God summarizes, no, I said it right the first time. (laughs) When John summarizes his message as God is light and in him is no darkness at all, he's saying that God wants to be known and that God is pure. Light signifies revelation and holiness. So in this one phrase to describe God, John is saying that the essence of Christianity concerns truth and life. What we believe and how we live, doctrine and ethics. John will say throughout this letter that it doesn't matter what you believe if you don't live a certain way. And he'll also say it doesn't matter how you live if you don't believe a certain way. Christianity is a message about a way of life. It's a message that creates a certain kind of life. The essence of Christianity concerns truth and life. Because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. God wants to be known and God is pure. John applies this teaching in the next verses, and he says something foundational about the kind of life that this theology creates, the kind of life in a church that God's light creates. So number two, 
God's people are honest. Number one, God is light, verse 5. Number two, God's people are honest, verses 6 through 7. Let's read those verses again. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10 are all tests for these Christians receiving this letter to use to discern who the false teachers are. To judge their teaching even. Verse 6, if you this, 7, but this. Verse 8, if we say this, verse 9, the contrast. Verse 10, if we say this, and then chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, the contrast. So these are three tests back to back to back for these Christians to use to discern these false teachers. Remember, the goal of John in this letter is to comfort Christians and increase their assurance, not to confuse them and fill their hearts with doubts. These three tests are meant to encourage these believers by telling them that if someone is teaching that uh, behavior and doctrine don't have to align, then they're false teachers. He's telling these believers that if someone's teaching and behavior aren't consistent with each other, then they shouldn't be believed. The point of the first test there in verse 6 is that claiming to know God and not caring about sin are not mutually compatible ideas, not mutually compatible Christian ideas. The false teachers were likely teaching that someone's spirit couldn't be touched by sin because sin only contaminated the body. So it didn't matter what you did with your body as long as in your heart you really loved God. This teaching probably is what became known as Gnosticism. Where there was a separation between spirit and flesh. John says, no, that's not true. (laughs) He says plainly, that's not true. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He says that knowing God with our spirit results in honoring Him with our bodies. Again, we may not believe the things those false teachers were teaching, but many do believe that knowing God has nothing to do with how we live. But as I said earlier, since God is light, this claim is illogical. Knowing God who is pure without pursuing purity is an illusion. The Bible says that sin is always a barrier to fellowship with God. Isaiah 59, 2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So verse 6, John says that if we walk in darkness but claim to know God, we're liars. And we don't practice the truth. Then in verse 7, He tells us what walking in the light means. What does it mean, John, to walk in the light? Verse 7, If we walk in the light as He, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if I asked you guys to tell me, what does walking in the light mean? What would you say? You can even just yell out something. What does walking in the light mean? Fellowship with God. Confession. Discipleship. Prayer. 
you're not wrong. There's so much truth to what all of you said. Many of us would answer that question along, some, somewhere along the lines of, you know, living a morally good life, obeying the commands of God, seeking God, praying, discipling, serving, etc. We say something along the lines of walking in the light is living the kind of life that God wants us to live. Walking in the light is living a morally pure life. And that wouldn't be unreasonable. The Bible calls us to purity. It calls us to all of those things you said. But John is saying something slightly different here in this verse. He says that God is light. If we walk in His light, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. We'd expect him to say something like, walk in the light as God is in the light, and you'll have fellowship with God. That, w- that just kind of flows a little more naturally, doesn't it? But he, <laughs> it's almost like he skips that part. He says, walk in the light as he is in the light, and you'll have fellowship with each other. He takes it a step further. What is John talking about? What is he talking about? What is this walking in the light that creates fellowship with other Christians within the church? Well, the emphasis in the surrounding verses is confessing sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned. So I think it's reasonable to conclude that walking in the light in verse 7 is about being honest about our sinfulness with other Christians and with God. John is saying that to walk in the light is to walk in honest relationships with other Christians. Walk in the light as He is in the light. And then, brothers and sisters, then you'll have fellowship with one another. And then he goes on to talk about confessing sin in verse 8, 9, and 10. When we start to walk in honest relationships with other Christians, our relationships move from friendship to fellowship. Some of you have tasted this. You know what I'm talking about. Some of this will be new for some, but not out of reach. Available. This Life, this kind of life is available. That's why it's in the Bible. When our relationships move from hiding to honesty, they move from friendship to fellowship. Because God is light, we're called to walk in the light, meaning we're called to know and be known by each other in such a way that nothing is hidden in the darkness, resulting in a depth of relationship Not possible otherwise. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper. Yes, I'm quoting from this three sermons in in a row. Don't judge me. That's how badly I want you to read this book. He says it this way. You are restricting your growth if you do not move through life doing the painful, humiliating, liberating work of cheerfully bringing your failures out from the darkness of secrecy into the light of acknowledgement before a Christian brother or sister. In the darkness, your sins fester and grow in strength. In the light, they wither and die. 
Walking in the light, in other words, is honesty with God and others. End quote. And then listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor who was martyred at the hands of the Nazis in the 1940s, Bonhoeffer says it this way in his book, Life Together. He says, quote, this is a long quote, but bear with me because it's so good. He says, quote, He who is alone is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians, he says, are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So, we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. End quote. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that uh, although our doctrine of sin tells us that everyone's a sinner, we remain quiet about our sin because we feel And in many cases, churches give the impression that there's no room for real sinners. Only theoretical sinners. Real fellowship can never grow because we're afraid to be honest. All while we boast in our doctrine of sin. We say we're sinners but never get around to opening up to each other about exactly how we sin. Sometimes we're explicitly dishonest saying things like, I didn't lie at work when we did lie at work. More often though, I think we're implicitly dishonest. This is the self-projection of moral success when the truth is different. It's image management. It's image casting. What do you, when you cast an image, what does that sound like? It's making an idol. You're casting, you're making something, creating something that's not true. Saying and doing things to make yourself look as good as possible. Walking in the light is the opposite of all that. It's to put down the mask. It's to stop framing, even when we do mention our sin, it's, it's to stop framing of it to make it sound as good as possible in order to keep up our appearance. Walking in the light is utterly collapsing into transparency. And none of us want to do this. We'd rather die than tell people the truth. Walking in the light feels like a kind of death. Our impressive appearance is dying in front of another Christian when we do this. But what would you say to a baby terrified of being born who wanted to stay in the warmth and darkness of the womb? You'd say, hey little baby, if you stay in there, you're going to die. Because life is in the light. 
death lives in darkness. You might have an amazing grasp of theology and doctrine, obvious gifts in the church, great performance reviews at work or at school, but you wonder why your relationship, your affections for Jesus isn't growing, isn't deepening. Well, I would suggest this morning that it may be because you're trying to grow spiritually in the dark. So the question, just to get this as practical as possible, and everybody needs to answer this, not out loud. Is there anyone in your life who knows that you're a sinner, not theoretically, but genuinely? Is there anyone who you speak, confess, your sins to specifically someone who knows the concrete sins you struggle with someone who you don't keep any secrets from developing these kinds of relationships where confessing sins is normal feels so counterintuitive none of you woke up this morning wanting to do this amen me neither. It feels scary. Feels like a death. But the reality is, and this is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, the reality is that though it feels like death, it actually leads to life. Feels scary, but it leads to healing and peace. Just like surgery is scary, but surgery is worth going through because on the other side of surgery is healing and restoration and health. As Kristen read, James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confessing specific sins to another Christian should be a normal part of our Christian life. And the result, according to the Bible, the result is healing, not more shame. We think that confessing sin will just bring and compound shame, but the opposite actually happens. Freedom, peace, healing, deepening happens when honesty happens. So again... Is there anyone in your life who knows you're a sinner, not theoretically, but specifically? Is there anyone that you talk to about sin? Of course, we should confess our sins to God first and foremost. That's verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's the main person we should confess to. We confess vertically to Him and then also horizontally to others. This doesn't mean, by the way, that we need to confess our sins to a priest or a pastor. Like, you know, I'm not going to have a booth out in the foyer after this for you to come and tell me everything. Rather, grab someone you know and trust in this room and take them to coffee this week. And you start that awkward conversation and watch what the Lord does. 
this doesn't mean that we have to tell everyone everything. That's impossible and unwise. So pick a trustworthy brother or sister in the church and start there. Trustworthy. Not someone who's going to shame you, gossip about you, you know, tell you how bad of a person you are, whatever. Someone who is safe to speak truth to and with. The goal isn't width, but depth. So pick a person that you can begin growing this depth with. So for example, if five people know you struggle with lust, but you haven't told anyone about your sexual addiction, you need to pick one trustworthy person and tell them. Or another example would be if a few people know, or you've told a few people that you struggle to manage your finances, but no one knows about your gambling addiction or online shopping addiction or your lack of giving to the church, then you should pick someone, a trustworthy person, and talk to them about it. If maybe a few people know that your marriage is struggling, but no one knows that you verbally and emotionally abuse your spouse, you need to find a trustworthy person and tell them. Confess your sins to one another. Walking in the light doesn't mean you tell everyone everything. It means picking a trustworthy brother or sister in the church and starting there. Again, Ortland offers wise counsel. He says, for most of us, the greater difficulty is under-confessing our sins to one another rather than over-confessing them. What if each one of us determined to find one person, someone of the same gender, to head off any possibility of unhealthy attachments, who knew who we really are inside and out? And I would add that if you're married, this includes your spouse. It may not only be your spouse, but I would argue that true intimacy won't grow in your marriage as long as there are secrets. The things you think you could never tell your spouse, should never tell your spouse, are probably the exact things you need to tell your spouse. And see how life will grow with light. What I'm saying right now is so heavy. And it feels like you could never do this. Or that doing this would take an extreme act of will. And in a sense it will. Or it may seem that if you don't do this, then Jesus won't love you. Well thankfully, 1 John 1, 9 is right there. If we confess our sins to God, He forgives us. Even our failures to confess sins to one another is forgiven. So, not doing the thing that I'm talking about doing doesn't exempt you from the love of Christ. But it will deepen you in the love of Christ. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. We long for real relationships, for depth, for true togetherness, to be known completely and still loved. In other words, we were made for and longed for what the gospel provides for us in the church. 
real, honest love. God made us for a deep and rich life together. So what John is doing in verse 7 is inviting us into a feast of fellowship together as we pursue honesty with each other. And when we do, we, we realize we're no longer alone. We realize that we struggle and battle the same sins that everyone else does. And in those kinds of relationships, we're actually able to enjoy each other instead of comparing and competing against each other. What happens is when we get out of impress mode, when we get out of image management mode, we're finally free to start loving each other. And we can find healing and freedom in the light. There's a song by 10th Avenue North called Healing Begins that describes this reality beautifully. It goes like this. So you thought you had to keep this up, all the work that you do, so we think that you're good. And you can't believe it's not enough. All the walls you built up are just glass on the outside. So let them fall down. There's freedom waiting in the sound. When you let your walls fall to the ground, we're here now. This is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. Where you come to where you're broken within, the light meets the dark. It goes on, afraid to let your secrets out, everything that you hide can come crashing through the door now, but too scared to face all your fear, so you hide, but you find that the shame won't disappear. So let it fall down. There's freedom waiting in the sound when you let your walls fall to the ground. This is where healing begins. This is where healing starts. The light meets the dark. Sparks will fly as grace collides with the dark inside of us, so please don't fight this coming light. Let this blood come cover us. His blood can cover us. This is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. When you come to where you're broken within, the light meets the dark. Brothers and sisters, where is the light meeting the dark? Who do you talk to where light meets the dark. God made us to enjoy life together as brothers and sisters. And in the gospel, we have a resource that can create this kind of life because it brings us boldly into the light of God and humbly before each other. The beauty of what I'm saying, what the Bible is saying, is that we will never bring a sin before another brother or sister that isn't already covered with the blood of Jesus. It's already forgiven. We are in a Catholic church, okay? You don't have to confess to get the restitution or forgiveness. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. When we confess things to our brothers and sisters, we're confessing things that Jesus already paid for. Knowing exactly what you would do and accepting you anyway. So we confess sins already covered by the blood of Jesus. And this, as we close, is the second thing that happens. Verse 7. When we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And secondly, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This verse isn't saying that we'll only be cleansed if we confess our sins. It's saying that because we all keep sinning in lots of ways, we continually feel dirty. Some may be irredeemably dirty, 
We know God loves us and Jesus died for our sins and we believe the gospel, but we live under the oppression of shame, feeling like no one is as dirty as us. And if people really knew what I did or said or thought, then I wouldn't be accepted. But John is saying that if you're in Christ, heaven has already bathed you. It doesn't matter how dirty you feel. Your feelings don't define you. Jesus took on your dirtiness so that you could have His cleanness. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We all know how how good a warm shower feels or a hot shower. Just remember the next time you experience that, remember that the cleansing flow of Jesus' blood over your life is a million times more satisfying and sufficient to cleanse you, to really clean you. This doesn't mean we won't feel dirty. It means that we grow as we bring our feelings in line with the decisive once and for all eternity cleansing, once and for all eternity cleansing we have in the blood of Jesus. And notice that it says cleansing from all sin. This is a comprehensive and decisive cleansing. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you are clean. Period. You're like, John, you don't know about this thing. You don't know. You don't know. You're right. I don't know. And I don't need to know. But if you're in Christ, you are clean. Period. So we'll never confess a sin to another person that isn't already covered by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we're free to be honest. We don't need the approval of other people because God has already approved of us, justified us in Christ through faith, even made us pure by clothing us in His righteousness. So I know doing this sounds impossibly scary, but we don't do this to gain someone's approval. We already have the only approval we need. Out of that freedom, we can just start talking very honestly with a trustworthy brother or sister about what's really going on. And when we do, we will start to feel the reality of the forgiveness we already have in Christ. Here's what happens when you confess to a trustworthy, godly brother or sister. And they respond with the love of Christ. Not condoning sin or minimizing sin, but when they respond in the love of Christ. You know what happens in that moment? Your love and belief in the gospel goes up. Because you just experienced it in that moment. In a tangible way. A Christian just showed you and gave you the love of Christ at the coffee shop. In your dorm room, you experience the power of the gospel and you have a sense, a renewed sense perhaps, of the depth and the warmth of Jesus' love for you. And your heart begins to relax as you experience the acceptance of the Father as demonstrated in the acceptance of a brother or sister in Christ. So my brothers and sisters, who are you walking in the light with? Who knows that you're a specific sinner, not a theoretical sinner? And friends, if you're not yet in Christ, the good news is, The offer of the gospel is for you today. You can have all of your sins washed away today 
if you'll put your faith in Christ and turn away from your sins and receive Him as the most beautiful thing in the universe and sufficient to meet your deepest need. If you'd like to talk more about what it means to be a Christian, grab me or Jared or maybe the person you came with after the service. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to experience and receive this forgiveness. And also, brothers and sisters, maybe you're like, I have no idea how to do what you're talking about, John. Well, come and talk to Jared and I. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, maybe even point you to a godly brother or sister that you could talk to. What we would love and long for is to see a web of relationships continue to grow in our church where, as I prayed earlier, transparency is, is normal and not weird. Where transparency is normal and not weird. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in so much need and we also come to you remembering that our deepest needs have been met in Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, your son, for his blood that cleanses us from all sin. Father, send your Holy Spirit to help your people walk in the light as you are in the light so that we have fellowship with one another so that we have deepening, life-giving relationships built on honesty, where confession of sin is normal and ordinary. Not because we have, we have to do so to you know, make sure that we're really Christians or to really make you love us. Or maybe, Lord, you would protect us that, that we would just start doing this just to look really righteous. And we would just start confessing sin to everybody, everywhere. And even that, there would be some self-righteousness. So give us wisdom, Father, and send your Spirit to help us obey these texts that we've considered, to walk in the light, to confess our sins, to pray for one another so that we may be healed. And we pray that as we do so, you would make us more and more into the image of Christ. We pray for His sake. Amen.